I was asked uh, to come in July to bring some messages on the topic of encouragement among the Tilapaneco people to a pastor's conference. In March was my last visit there when I, at the school, taught uh, 10 times on what is the church. And uh, after that, in May, uh, while we were, Naomi and I were heading to our cabin in Jasper, Arkansas, right after this, a place that we uh, use as a kind of a launching point to do some hiking, and uh, we need to do some work on the cabin always. But in early May, while I was at that cabin in Jasper, an invitation came by email to uh, be the speaker for their pastor's conference on the subject of encouragement. I wrote right back, and there's a reason I'm telling you all this. I wrote right back and said, well, how many messages will you need? And they said, we, we need, our, our pastor's conference typically involves eight sermons. So if you're anything like me, my first thought was, how am I going to come up with eight messages on encouragement? <laughs> exactly, you know, how much material can I think up on just that? So I began to think and pray. And one scripture after another came to mind, and various key points fell into place, and soon I had an outline, and before we returned home two days later, I had a first message written, <clears throat> and I had a structure. So I wrote them back and said yes. And I set the goal of writing three of those messages by the end of May, and three by the end of June, and then two in July before departing from Mexico, and they were all written by the first week of June. And the reason I'm telling you this is because nothing like that has ever happened to me before, and that was my indicator from the Lord. It, was a, uh, it, it just suggested to my mind that the Lord is in this, and he wants me to go do this. Because often preparing for a conference of that size and of that many messages is a very painstaking experience, but the Lord helped me very rapidly to be prepared. And so I'm encouraged that I'm ready Will you pray with me that what I bring them will be encouraging? That's more important than me being prepared and that me being encouraged, right? They asked me to bring messages on encouragement. My first question to them was, why that particular topic? And they said, because the pastors here in Mexico, and particularly among the Tlapinico, are very discouraged. The economy is just in a, a real tank. It's a mess. Uh, we, uh, we find that the economy in Mexico tends to follow that of the USA, but with worse trends. And that if we have problems here with inflation, theirs is worse. If we have corruption here, theirs long preceded ours. Uh, if there's a disparity between wages and income here and costs, uh, theirs is worse. And so they're very discouraged about the cost of things and their needs and so on. So I, I uh, am glad to bring those messages for them. Encouragement has struck me is the gift that every believer needs and the gift that every believer can give. But by calling it a gift, I think it's important that we not make a common mistake, very likely mistake that we could make, and that is encouragement is not to be considered a spiritual gift that is one of those ways of serving one another that the Apostle Paul says every believer has one or more of, but, but not all of us have all of them. And so, no, encouragement actually is... It's a gift that we bless each other with, but it's encouragement is something that we all must do. For instance, we would, we would never say that some believers have a gift of worship and others don't. No, we're all worshipers. We're all to be that. 
We can't say some believers have a gift of Bible study and prayer and others don't. No, those are things that we are all to do. Now, yes, it can be true that some can be better at these things than others. Someone else might be better at the study of the Scriptures than you, but we're all called to it, right? It's not a spiritual gift that belongs only to some of us. We mustn't say likewise that only certain believers are called to evangelism. Even though there is a spiritual gift of evangelist, nonetheless, we're all called to the work of evangelism, to be sharers of the gospel. Well, likewise, some are more skilled at encouraging than others, just as some are more skilled at at other approaches to other people. Some are more skilled at comforting others. Some are more skilled at exhorting others. Some are more skilled at warning others. But... Depending on the need of the person we're talking to, we're all to comfort, we're all to warn, we're all to exhort, and we're all called on to encourage. Now, since this was originally designed for these uh, Spanish-speaking Tilapaneco people, and I didn't share with you that Spanish is their second language, Mekpa is their first, but they, they do have to speak Spanish much of the time to come to the school because... Uh, The only Bible that they have access to is in Spanish, and the theological books that they train with are in Spanish. But since I was teaching this to folks who speak Spanish, I I decided to ask Google Translate, what are some ways that Spanish-speaking people try to encourage each other? I wanted to see what was typical, and I got these. Uh, The first one that came up, you might say this is like an artificial intelligence moment, you know, asking your computer for some input on this sort of thing. Well, the first one it said was aguanta, which turns out it means hang in there. I thought, well, okay, hang in there. That's nice. Sigue así, which means keep it up or keep up the good work. Si se puede, which means uh, you can do it or you've got this. Well, you could say those are all very nice remarks, all well intended, but we as Christians need to do better than that. We've got better material than that. Not that there's anything wrong with saying any one of those things necessarily, but some of those phrases show really kind of a hint of the way that the world encourages one another because they have nothing better to offer than that. You do have something better to offer. If you were ever to tell me just to hang in there, you know, a person might wonder, well, I mean, the life is difficult. Why hang in there? Why not just give up? You know, Jesus told his followers that it, that it would be difficult. Why would we want to hang in there? And the reason is because we know good basis. We know good grounds for hanging in there. We know why we should persevere. To encourage one another in a valid, lasting way requires that we know those reasons and remind each other of them. And uh, so I, I moved on in my Spanish research to ask, well, what's the best word in Spanish for encouragement? And the answer I got was animo. And I liked the sound of that because it captured the right idea. Animo sounds a lot like our word animate, which means to to stir to life, to invigorate someone, to enliven them, to to boost them, to strengthen them, to give them incentive. And yes, I, I hope to do that for the brethren there, but you have to do that on the right grounds. Positive encouragement doesn't do anything if it's just built on positive thinking or on wishes for a positive outcome. But the biblical words for encouragement that we're going to get into and explore momentarily mean this. If you, I won't take you through a word study of all the Bible words on encouragement or that uh, touch on it, but kind of putting them together, the biblical words for encouragement mean 
to urge someone forward, more or less like a, a sergeant might urge his soldiers forward into the battle, that, come on, let's go. We can do this together. We've got your back. We're urging you forward. To come to one's, end, to one's aid or to come alongside, and in that it resembles a great deal what we hear about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, right? He's the paraclete who comes alongside us. And so part of being uh, responsible Christians, in fact, just to take it from the leadership angle, part of being responsible husbands or fathers, teachers, pastors, citizens, any of us who have influence with each other, is making sure that if we're going to encourage or, or incentivize people or motivate people, we want to motivate them to what is right, what we promote needs to be what is right. Uh, for instance, would be, I mean, we, we have a, a president, President Biden, who incentivizes certain behaviors, but he incentivizes a lot of behavior that's wrong, doesn't he? Our government promotes homosexuality. Our government encourages increasingly children to be mutilated and change their gender. Our government encourages criminal behavior in many cases and laziness and dependence. And so you can encourage people but whether it's good depends on what you are encouraging. Merely being encouraging is not a good thing. It depends on what you're prompting people to be or do. And so we need to aim, as Barnabas was called, sons of encouragement in Acts chapter 4. That name really carries the meaning of the idea of someone who was born to encourage. Let's all aspire to be sons and daughters of encouragement in biblical ways. So how do we become the type of person who encourages others? Here's a dilemma. When we are sometimes discouraged ourselves. When we are discouraged. Well, that's why I titled this, The Gift Every Believer Needs and The Gift Every Believer Can Give. Because none of us are in an encouraged frame of mind all the time. We will need someone to lift us up. And it's also the blessing we can bestow. And so it's like generosity at, on any given occasion. You may go through a period in your life when you are capable of being the generous one. And then you might find it's a period in your life when you need the generosity of others. You could be a benevolent and giving person. You aim to be a benevolent one, um, giving to help others financially. But you might be on the receiving end of that giving someday. And then someone else gets the blessing of being the giver, the greater blessing of being the giver than the receiver. The two key roots on which bona fide Christian encouragement rely are these. If you'll start at Philippians chapter 2, and we will get to Hebrews 3, as I've indicated I'd be teaching on, but Philippians chapter 2, these character traits are some of the roots of bona fide Christian encouragement. When Paul says, and you see the word right at the start of the text, Philippians 2.1, if there is encouragement, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The pursuit of all of those has a lot to do with whether you can be an encouraging individual to your brothers and sisters or not. You see, built into those, he says that it is central to our unity with one another to be able to encourage one another. There's got to be a striving after unity. 
It grows out of loving one another to be encouraging to one another. It is evidence of a participation in the work of the Spirit among us to be encouraging to one another. And being humble and not selfish is a deep taproot in the lives of those who live to encourage others. But then also we need to know the core material of our ability to encourage. And the core material of our capacity or skill to encourage others is the scriptures themselves. Turn over to Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. And verse 4. And reading verses 4 through 7, Paul says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, there's our word, through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So once again, we see there that we don't just encourage people with positive thinking, with, you know, you can, just, you can do it, with best wishes, with good vibes. None of that's effective. It's just talk. We've got to be rooted in the scriptures. It starts with biblical truth. Your ability to encourage means having scripture wielded in the mouths of people who are in harmony with one another, who welcome one another and don't condemn one another, and who accept one another where we are in our present state of maturity and then help aim to help one another grow from there to live to the glory of God. Make those things your aims and you can be encouraging. And you clearly are supposed to be. And let's get over to Hebrews chapter 3 for our primary text today. Hebrews 3. In verses 12 through 14. <clears throat> the church that Paul was writing to here was quite discouraged. They were suffering a great deal of opposition. They were being mistreated a lot by their fellow countrymen among the Jews for leaving that faith and adopting this new one. And so... This is one of the first places among several in this letter where he says things like this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is still called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now in verse 13 about... Half of our English Bible versions say exhort, and about half of them say encourage. I don't know what you've got on your lap there, but some Bibles will say exhort one another. Some will say encourage one another. That's because there's a lot of similarity between the ideas of exhortation and encouragement. They are different types of verbal communications, but the words of them are translated pretty interchangeably throughout the New Testament on a number of places. Because the encouragement that we offer has the goal of moving us, of setting us to action, of prompting us and stirring us. Actions of greater hope, of courage, of faith, 
of endurance and perseverance and all of that leading to obedience. And so for that reason, it can resemble exhortation a lot. But here's the difference. Exhort- uh, encouragement is not usually done by pressing your brother or sister with a call or a charge that you need to obey the Lord. And the reason it doesn't is because encouragement doesn't assume that disobedience is the problem in this case, okay? Not everything your brother or sister struggles with is due to disobedience. Some of it's due to weakness, discouragement, lack of joy, many other problems that he has. Of course, it's necessary at times to tell a friend that he needs to obey the Lord. There are times exactly to say that, but that's in the category of correction or rebuke. Encouragement, on the other hand, builds perseverance in our lives for those times when disobedience isn't necessarily the problem, but when we need to be built up and given hope, when we need to be equipped, when we need to be fueled, when our desires need to be inflamed, when we need the reward of serving the Lord exhibited before our eyes again vividly to remind us of how worth it is to press on and to keep pressing on. And so when we can tell that somebody is feeling that moment of, you know, this is hard. Following the Lord in these circumstances that I'm in is hard. Life is hard right now. We can agree, but we can bring truths to bear on his, his life that says, yes, but is it worth it? Isn't it still worth it? Yes. Is he worth it? Yes, he is worth it. And so the core of the truths that we encourage one another with You'll find if you do a Bible study such as I had to do on encouragement to get ready for those Tilapaneco believers, I found that the core of the truths that we encourage one another with revolve around three main things. One is, he is making what you are going through worth enduring, and he will make it worth it. He's making whatever you're going to, and apply this to yourself, even as I say these today. He is making what you are going through now worth it, and he will make it worth it too. Second, he is worthy of you enduring. Whatever it is, Jesus is worthy of you enduring it. You're supposed to be willing to suffer for his sake, and he's worthy of that. And then the third thing you'll find is a feature of encouragement. He can be trusted through it, whatever it is you're enduring. Let those who suffer according to the will of God, Peter says, do so willingly with patience and relying on the Lord during that, patiently enduring that with him. And so it's rare that, we endure, rare that we encourage a person necessarily by bringing up their responsibilities and with pressure on that, but rather encouragement is a motivational work from within, making them just desire the right thing. And yet, of course, that doesn't mean encouragement only uses soft and gentle words all the time. There, there are times to warn. Surely there are times people need warning. You've got to be aware of that. You've got to know one another and know what's needed at the time. But encouragement is a kind of talk that gets one another moving in the right direction by supplying resolve through hope and increasing their courage that way. Hope that grows faith and results in more of a want-to obedience that is just strengthened to endure and persevere another day. Hope that knows that God does have the grace for us and the path for us in this particular distress Hope that knows that he will make sense of it all one day to us, even if we don't see it now. And hope that accepts that though we can't see it right now, he's worth it. And he will make that apparent soon. We should also define hope. Since I use the word hope a lot in this message, it's important that you never think of hope 
uh, as merely wishful thinking. Biblically defined hope is not saying, I hope things come out this way. I hope there will be a good outcome. No, hope is a noun in this case that means I have this hope. I know that he is bringing this to a good outcome. There is a certainty. Our hope in the Lord Jesus returning again is not we really hope that he will. No, but our hope is that we know he will. And so we have a positive certainty of a good result. We're assured of that as we serve the Lord. It's not a wish. It's a fact. A good synonym for biblical hope is expectation. We have a certain assured expectation of how things are going to turn out. Now, getting into our text, we're going to talk first about the need, and I'm not going to deal with the points of the text in order exactly, but uh, to blend them together a bit. The need, number one, daily encouragement of one another. And we see that from verse 13 when he says, exhort one another every day as long as it is still called today. What does that phrase mean, as long as it is still called today? That is a way of saying, as long as we are still in this era in which we are counting and numbering our days, as long as you're here, your brothers and sisters are going to need encouragement. For all the days that we live until we're ushered into that eternal state, for the rest of our lives, we're going to need encouragement from one another. You see a brother needing encouragement? Don't delay, this says. Bring it. Get to him and bring it. Go to him while it's today. And this is not possible unless we are participating in a, a real genuine life with one another. Being believers who are intimately attached to our church and actively ministering to one another. And there's an assumption built into this that we live a kind of daily life among one another. Not all of you can't see all of you every single day, but there ought to be an interaction among you as a flock with one another daily. You ought to be seeing each other. How not to be overcome by unbelief and worry and bitterness, but to instead, instead be an overcomer of those things by faith. It takes hospitality to one another, where you invite one another into your homes. It takes uh, showing up at times, even what fact is, brothers and sisters, it takes a willingness to show up and be the guy that stands there to encourage someone, even when you don't know at first what you're going to say. And you know as well as I do that a lot of the people in your life that who have encouraged you effectively, they came and they didn't have to give you a long talk about it. You might have told them years later, it was one thing you said that encouraged me, one sentence you said, one truth you reminded me of. And you know what? And you went there that day and you didn't know what you're going to say. But you were encouraging him just because you were there. You came alongside. You were his brother or sister. So we must keep talking each out of those things that discourage us. Just as the psalmist did. If you remember that Psalm 42 where he says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you so down? Why are you discouraged? Hope in God. We need to do that for each other just as he talked to himself and reminded himself of the truths that would give him hope in God, we need to talk to each other that way too. Because our world is full of thieves of faith, and they're everywhere around us. I heard a great story about thieves that illustrates this well. Dr. Joel Beakey, who's a professor at Puritan Reformed Seminary in Michigan, has a grandmother who he describes as feisty and 
He said she is the type that is not easily taken advantage of, not even by younger or stronger people than herself or people who think they are smarter than her. On one occasion, uh, he tells the story of when three men, three young men, broke into her, his grandmother's home and proceeded to rob the place. They made one big mistake. They did it while she was there. No doubt they figured, well, you know, what harm can this old lady be? They tied her to a chair, and they proceeded to ransack the place in search for valuables. But then the tables turned, and she began to hold them hostage with words. She began to call out to them. She didn't succumb to fear. And while they're running around opening closets and drawers and cabinets and looking for valuables and handling all her stuff, she is calling out, you are wicked men. And you need Christ in your life. And you already have plenty in this life. And you are stealing to get more. You are going to suffer God's judgment for this. You need to be saved. And Jesus can save you from your sinful ways. And he will forgive you. But you need to repent. Well, they kind of got tired of that after a while. It's not what you expect when you're robbing a house. you know. And one of them got very tired of her ranting. And he came over. He decided he was going to sit down and argue with her. His first mistake. So, soon he was no longer arguing. He was convinced that she was probably right. So he called his buddies over, and he started to call out to them and said, maybe we should give this up. I think she's right. We're going to get judged by God. And they began to argue with one another over it. But she and the first fellow prevailed over the others, and the thieves decided, yeah, I guess this isn't worth doing, and they all left without taking anything. (laughs) So, well... She had the kind of effect on those young men that the Apostle Paul had on Phoenix when it says, on Felix, when it says, you know, she, he uh, made him afraid as he talked to him about sin and righteousness and judgment. That's exactly what he did. And the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy your hope and your faith and your courage. And what she did to those men, you can do for each other. You can talk each other out of the, the joy being stolen from your soul. You can talk each other out of that. You can argue the devil out of each other's houses. And you can remind one another of the reasons we have for hope. But I'm saying you do need to be a truly active part of your church, of your family of faith. I hope you know that you owe the Lord more than Sunday mornings. Jesus didn't die for you so that you'd show up here for 90 minutes every Sunday. That's not the only reason he died for you. I can name many reasons for which he died, but one of them is that he aims for us to love and encourage one another and build one another up in the faith. So that's the need, daily encouragement of one another. But then he gives the reason. That's point number two, a reason. And the reasons are the temptations of an evil, unbelieving heart or apostatizing heart. When he says that we do this encouraging of one another or exhorting of one another, lest any of you, or lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Or as he puts it later, the danger of being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now this this phrase, falling away, it can describe a state or a condition with lasting consequences. That is, where someone professed the faith once and then is lost forever, has fallen completely away. It can also describe a state of unbelief that makes us stray for a time and succumb to weakness, which is not equivalent with being lost in that case. If you're in church life long enough, you'll see some who fall away from the Lord, some who are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and prove to have never been his. You'll see others who will struggle 
and they will go through periods of falling away in which they come back from. Now, now someone will always ask, especially uh, in a church like yours or mine, where we have been taught sound theology, if, if God can't lose us and if we can't fall away, then why does a passage like this exist? And why does the Word of God exhort us to encourage one another so that we don't fall away? And the answer is simply this, that the God who efficaciously and powerfully keeps us so that we can't fall away does that in part through each other. He uses one another in our lives to do that. God keeps us, but encouraging one another in the family of God is part of how he keeps us. He means for you to have a role in that. We have a hand in it. God could keep us entirely on his own. But that's just the same as saying that when it comes to it, why do we evangelize? God could save all the sinners he wants on his own, but you get to play a part in it. You get to participate in the conquest of the kingdom of God. And you're grateful for that, I hope. And likewise, you get to take part in this. Don't you like the idea? I, I kind of love the thought that in heaven, there will not only be gratitude and great thankfulness and praise to God for having kept us, but we'll be able to look at one another and say, thank you too. Thank you for helping me get here. In those times when I was weak, in those times when I was struggling, we'll be able to give thanks to one another for that. And so we all have been given a new believing good heart, but it sometimes gets infected with evils, with unbelief. We fight it internally. We fight in faith to cling to the promises of God. Uh, we fight to keep our hope up, but we were never meant to do that alone. This is not a solo battle. As our pastor in Tulsa said recently, sanctification is a team sport. We work at it together. And we can go through times when sin hardens us again, when we have been careless or dull or lazy or whatever else has brought us down. And it's up to you and I to help deliver one another from those times. And that leads then to this third point, the goal. The goal is that we hold fast to the end. And if you look there at uh, verse 14... When he says, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The confidence that we had at the beginning, that confident faith that we had at the beginning will save us if it continues to be our confidence that we endure to the end with. We must hold on to the faith. And every one of us will experience challenges to faith from worldly people, from our own sinful flesh, from trouble in the church. And so we need encouragement from one another constantly, and it is something every member of the church must do. I've thought often how encouraged Paul must have been to be able to say to the Roman church, as he did in Romans 15, I am convinced of you, brethren, that you are filled with wisdom and filled with knowledge and goodness, and so you are able to admonish and instruct one another. You're able to do that. You don't just rely only on a pastor or a few people in your church to encourage and instruct one another. You're capable of doing that. And so encouragement, we see here, it's a kind of talking to each other that helps us want to be better Christians even when it's tough. We incite and winsomely compel each other to fixed love for Christ, stronger faith in Christ, perseverance in following Christ together because we're on a long journey together. And we can all be at times like that little kid in the car in the back seat on a long journey. He keeps asking, you know, are we there yet? And, and yet we say it with more pain than the child who asks that because 
you know, we, we know we really aren't there yet, but we long to be. And, we, and you've had thoughts of times where I would, I'm, I'm ready to go on to heaven. I'm done with this life. I'd like to be finished this. But we're not there yet. And so we need day after day to encourage one another. Maybe you can remember a conversation with someone that did encourage you. Maybe you can't remember such an occasion. On the other hand, maybe some of you have had times that you received encouragement from someone, but you didn't recognize it for what it was. And you, know, you think this hasn't been done for you when it has. I think there have been, there have been times in my, in my life when Brother Bob was with me and came and stood alongside me and encouraged me, and I barely knew how to absorb it. And yet he was doing it and strengthening a brother. Sometimes we fail to feel encouraged or experience encouragement or extend it because we don't even know for sure what it is to say. The way encouragement is used by many today, some might mistake it for mere comfort. That, well, you know, I, I care about you and, you know, I hope things get better in time. I'll pray for you. But that by itself isn't encouragement. There's nothing wrong with saying those things, but that's not enough to be encouragement. Others might mistake it for positive affirmation. You're doing a great job. You know, you're really doing well. And sometimes you hear that and you, you say to yourself, that person's just trying to be nice and trying to make me feel good, but there's nothing much to it. And it might even be flattery at some time or other. But biblical encouragement does a work for each other that is much more meaningful and lasting and impactful than that. We don't want attempts at encouragement that merely fill us up with pride or enlarge our self-pity, but rather, when you encourage a brother or sister, you're cultivating humility and peace and courage and stronger faith in the Lord and stronger hope in God. And those kind of spiritual fruits, when those are encouraged and prompted in each other, it stirs that person to a fresh diligence, a willingness to endure, a willingness to to suffer deprivation or trouble or persecution. I hope it has that effect on my brethren in Mexico when I'm there because they, they suffer all of those things. True encouragement is not just about making people feel better about themselves. Uh, and getting true encouragement is not us feeling better about ourselves. But it's about building us up in the faith to know God better, to expect more from God, to enjoy God more, and so that we are more devoted to God while anticipating he is at work, and he is going to be at work. Let me show you an example of biblical encouragement. If you go over to Joshua chapter 1, Joshua 1 is a good sample of this. You've read this passage before. <clears throat> and notice some features in it. This is when the Lord spoke to Joshua after Moses had been taken home. And in verse 6, the Lord tells this younger man now who is going to be responsible for leading the children of Israel into the promised land, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. You may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it 
day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So you notice this, these features. There's a charge to be strong and courageous, and it's founded on a promise. You are going to inherit the land. This is going to happen. You've got a sure hope in this. And then a strong source of strength is pointed to, and that is that you have a certain success if the book of the law is your meditation, being careful to obey the Lord, learning to obey the Lord from meditating on his word. And then in verse 8, there's an assurance that you will have success. And then another reminder to be strong and courageous because God is with you. Those are some of the elements of encouragement that we can use on one another. God strengthened Joshua's resolve to expect much from him, increasing his faith, showing him the, the needlessness of fearing man or fearing circumstances, and by that, he propelled him to be willing to persevere and endure. You know, a more modern example from my life that I love to remember has been delivered to me several times over the years by a man named Andy Hamilton, who is a, a missionary in Asia. And I recall him saying to me 30 years ago, when I was about 35 years old, he said, let's press on, brother. We're almost halfway home. And I knew what he meant by that. I thought, that's a, that's a cool way to put it. We're almost halfway home. At, you know, age 35, yeah, I'm about halfway there. So. And to my surprise, not long ago, the same Andy wrote me an email. Here I am, just past my 70th birthday, and he stated in this recent email, he said, let's press on, brother. He says, we're nearly home. <laughs> we're nearly there. <laughs> you know, there's not a whole lot of journey left, you know. Well, he, what that t he knew how to encourage with relevant facts, <laughs> with pertinent truths, with something that is genuinely reflective of where we are right now. And he knew how to make you want to hasten your feet in the work by bestowing confidence based on facts. Here are some things you know to be true. You're, no, you're almost there. You know? so, <clears throat> so perseverance is encouraged in this way. To hope strongly in the Lord that it will bring joy and success and reward. A kind of encouragement that makes us want to defy temptation. That makes us willing to zealously go through the fire knowing that he's making it worth it. There's a world of difference between you can do this and God is with you. A world of difference between those two things. Because hopefully you're mature enough in the Christian faith to know that apart from Him, you can't do this. You can do nothing apart from Him. But with Him, we can do all things, including His will, as He charges us to do. And we must speak that way to one another. We must speak that way to one another often because our minds don't stay there. They lose track of that. In the world, you'll have tribulation, and so we need to be reminded to take heart that he has overcome the world. Sometimes encouragement will just give us a boost that will keep us going through the day and help you to endure today and its trials. Sometimes encouragement will give you fresh perspective that will help you to stay strong for a longer period of time, and you'll, and you'll tell the one who encouraged you that that, that strengthened me so much, I, I've been able to to turn a corner, and I'm doing better. Some encouragements can transform our, our outlook and, and stay with us for years. But you know what? 
Part of why we're told to encourage one another day after day after day is because, <clears throat> you know, we, we say silly things like, wow, I learned something today and I'll, I'll never be the same. I've heard that. I'm not very big on the idea that I ever hear anything that will make me never be the same. As my friend Jim, the missionary there in Mexico, I've heard him say, when we say I'll never be the same, we are way too impressed with how much we just got impressed. We don't need to be that impressed with what we just learned. Fact is, you are likely to go right back to some of the same old doubts. You're likely to return to the same weaknesses. You're likely to return to some of the same faithlessness and the same failures again and again. Even beliefs and exhortations and encouragements that should change you in a lasting way, guess what? They don't. And so you need another one. And you need another brother to come alongside and do it again. Because we weaken and we change and we stumble and we need constant encouragement. And that's why this Hebrews letter has so much exhortation to encouragement in it because it's, it's very clear. It keeps coming up later in the letter. We're going to need what they needed. We're going to need from one another what they needed. If anything, with the kind of times that might be coming, we're going to need it more. Will we learn to be the people who encourage each other? And so as I, as I think on those believers in Mexico waiting for me to bring messages on encouragement, and I, I want them to learn more than just something in biblical truths about encouragement, I want them to learn how to encourage one another. That's what I want to leave them, leave them with. Little good will I do them if I come down and they say, boy, he was encouraging. If I'm the only encourager that shows up, I, I need to leave them better skilled at being encouraging to each other. Will you pray with me? That'll be the result when I go. And I'd like to leave you the same way. Be better encouragers from here on than you were when you got here, all right? And make it a habit. And don't worry about how much or how little you've got to say. It's not, it's not in the quantity of words. It's in the brother or sister who comes alongside, who shows up, who says, I'm with you. And I'm with you as your brother or sister because God's with you. And that's why I'm here. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for <clears throat> gathering us today. And we rejoice at being the people whose names are written in your book of life. You have just blessed us, as we heard in the Sunday school hour too, with just every unspeakable blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Too many of us to name. Help us to remind one another of those. Help us to buttress one another's faith and hope with those, to keep them before one another's eyes. Help this little flock to be a body of sons and daughters of encouragement to one another. Thank you uh, that we've been able to be here today. And thank you that you have been here with us and have received our worship. In Christ's name, amen.